Our speaker today was born in a preacher's home. And Pastor Brian Leversey grew up with a dad who was a pastor and a mom who loved the Lord and a family that was united in serving God. And I'm glad that God takes kids from broken homes and God takes kids from pastor's homes. And he brings them here to West Coast or other places and trains them and then sends them out into the world to preach the gospel. Pastor Brian Leversey has been a wonderful friend of West Coast Baptist College, as has his dad over the years. And uh, God has taken uh, Brother Leversey of the Horizon Baptist Church, planted there by him in the city of Camarillo, California. Again, a part of this Los Angeles basin. And I'm so glad that Brother Leversey is here. And I know he's going to challenge us today again with the great need of church planting and the need in Los Angeles. And I'm glad Brother Leversey would come. You come and preach to us. Let's welcome him as he does. While you're standing, let's grab our Bibles this morning and turn them to the book of Hebrews, chapter number 11. Of course, a very familiar passage of Scripture. As we stand together, we'll read out of respect for God's Word this morning. It's a delight to be here. I appreciated Brother Harold's testimony. I'd not heard his testimony before we met in different locations at different times. But I don't know about you. I was highly encouraged about that. It made me want to go out and plant a church all over again. Amen. And I think that's why we're here, is to look at what God has done, not only through those that are declared to us through his word, but also through those that by testimony have been faithful to God to go out and plant churches in various areas and see what God has done. And so I'm encouraged to be with you this morning. I'm encouraged that we're going to be in the word of God together, and I hope that this is a blessing and encouragement to you. Let's begin reading in Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 32. The title of my message this morning is more of a question than it is a title. And it's what do you do when victory doesn't look like victory? What do you do when victory doesn't look like victory? Let's begin reading with verse number 32. The Bible says this, and what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy 
that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful to be gathered here this morning around your word. So thankful, Lord, to have the opportunity to speak to these men and women who you are moving in their lives. And they might not know exactly, specifically what direction you're moving in yet, but that's why we're here. We're, we're searching your scripture. We're making ourselves available to you. I pray that you would push out the noise and, and perhaps the burdens that many have brought in here this morning. Help us to focus upon your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give clear direction this morning to men and women who are searching for your will in their life. And Lord, I pray that what they endeavored to do for you would be done upon a foundation of faith. That, Lord, whatever they might encounter, they can turn back to your word and what you've said and by faith continue to be faithful to you. I pray that you'd bless in an extraordinary way this morning. Lord, I know that, that there are young men and young women here that you are going to use in your service. I just pray that, that maybe even something through a testimony or through your word that's preached would just ignite a fire in them, Lord concerning what was sung about just a few moments ago, and that's your gospel. Lord, help us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. What do you do when victory doesn't look like victory? You know, the way that we tend to frame things in our mind and heart many times sets a course for us. How we establish in our mind and heart certain ideas, like like success or failure, like victory or defeat. I mean, we all tend to paint a picture or hold high an example of what we feel victory or defeat or success or failure might look like. And I think that sometimes we even in some ways perhaps hijack the word of God concerning the characters or faith that are displayed before us and, and we tend to, to highlight some of the higher points and forget Sometimes some of the points of struggle that they might have encountered along their journey of faith to be obedient to God. And many times when we do that, we formulate constructs in our mind and we say, well, I definitely want to go down this path that shapes up in this way because this is what I associate with victory. And I want to stay away from this construct that I have in my mind of this path that I could go down because in my mind, this seems like it might be defeat. And I think that sometimes those constructs that we make many times stand in our way as barriers that keep us from being fully committed and surrendered and obedient to God. And so this morning as we break down a very familiar passage of scripture, I hope that God maybe in some of our hearts can completely obliterate some of the constructs that we've formulated in our mind concerning what defeat and victory might look like. Because I think it's important that we have a biblical, spirit-led understanding of what God is calling for us to do as men and women who are dedicating ourselves to be obedient to Him. And so let's look just for a few moments at a couple of thoughts that I think might help us out with this. What do you do when victory doesn't look like victory? Because there's going to be times... There's going to be times, whether you're on the mission field or whether you're planting a church, that you're going to stand there and you're going to think, this isn't quite what I thought it would be like. 
This isn't quite what I had pictured in my mind was going to take place when I left my family and my home and my sending church and, and I went to a new place and I, I began to work for God. It's not kind of what I dreamed up. It's kind of not, God, what are you doing here? What's taking place? What's going on? And how do we respond to that? What do we do in moments where victory doesn't look like victory? Well, obviously Hebrews chapter number 11 is full of, of really a lot of victory. You know, from the very beginning, we are introduced to characters that you and I are very familiar with. And the reason why is because there are big highlights of victory that they experienced in their ministry for God. I mean, you think of people like Noah, or you think of people like Moses, or you think of people like, like even Rahab. And, and they're mentioned here in Hebrews chapter number 11. And we exalt them, rightfully so, because Scripture honors them. But we exalt them as these pillars of faith that we look to, and we formulate our constructs around them. And then we think to ourselves, well, that is completely, that highlight is completely what victory looks like. But then what happens when, when something doesn't look like that? When things aren't working in our life just like we see the highlights of Moses or we see the highlights of, of Noah or we see the highlights of David or some of these other characters that are mentioned by name. Well, when victory doesn't look like victory, I think, first of all, we need to understand this. We need to return to the foundation of all of victory, and that's the foundation of faith. How many of you remember that old hymn that used to be sung a lot, Faith is the Victory? And really, that's a very true statement because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now, now we can go plant churches and we can go out on the mission field and we can do all kinds of ministry for God. But if it's absent of faith, then God will not be pleased with it. I mean, we have examples even in the Old Testament of things that looked on the surface like victory, but in fact, were not honoring to God. How many of you remember a king by the name of Saul? You're in Bible college, you say amen to that. Amen. Remember Saul. And Saul was called by God to go in and slay all of the Amalekites. Now, he went in and got a great victory. He went in and completely won that battle, but... On his way back home, Samuel meets him and Samuel asks him a question. What is this sound that I'm hearing? What meaneth the bleeding of the sheep? And we understand that Saul, while he on the surface won a great victory, he did not accomplish by faith all that God had sent him to do. And so he was in disobedience to God. And disobedience to God is the absence of functioning in ministry by faith. Now, we don't have time this morning to read all of the accounts of faith that are given here in Hebrews chapter number 11. We know them well. We know of Abel. We know of Enoch. We know of Noah. We know of Moses. We know of Rahab. We know of others mentioned by name here in verse number 32 of Hebrews chapter number 11. But the one common thread all of them had, though their victories may have looked different in each narrative that we have in Scripture, the commonality is this. They all had a foundation of faith in which they pleased God. Now, if you're going to plant a church, it's going to take faith. 
I remember when God called us out of our church that I was ministering in as an assistant pastor to plant a church in Camarillo, California. I remember the whole process that went into that. I remember God working on my heart to call me away from that ministry. And I got to tell you something. The whole world, when you're thinking about where am I going to minister, where am I going to plant a church, how many of you know the whole world, that's a big place? I mean, if you look at these flags that line the back of the auditorium, and if you think of the globe, and you think of, okay, God, you want me to go and do something in ministry for you. Where in the world do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to plant a church? Where do you want me to serve on the mission field? And the world is a big place, and it can be very overwhelming to think, God, where would you have me to minister? How many, just by way of testimony this morning, you feel right now that God is working in your heart to perhaps plant a church or be a missionary somewhere in the foreign field? Raise your hand. All right, a lot in this room. I see hands all over the auditorium. Now, some of you may already know where that's going to take place. Perhaps you've had a leading of God in your heart. But how many of you would be honest along with me this morning as God was working in my heart? I had no clue where I was going to go. How many would you raise your hand and you say, right now I have no clue where God might have me to go, but I want to go do something for him. Okay, again, hands all over the auditorium. The world is a big place. I, I remember praying for a year while I was serving in, in our church there in Arizona and thinking, God, would you just somehow highlight to me exactly where you want me to go? And nothing. And I knew that God wanted me to do something and nothing. And six months into praying about it, nothing. And this is what I said. I said, God, I, I know you want me to go and do something. Everywhere needs a church. So I'm just going to approach this practically until you do something different. And so I begin to look at maps and pray over areas and look where there were few churches. But I also begin to look where maybe the finances would match up with where I should go. Maybe I wouldn't have to go on as long of a deputation. Maybe I wouldn't have to raise a lot of support. So I started looking in the Midwest and I started looking, you know, in other places where housing was affordable and I just wasn't getting a piece. But the last place... I ever wanted to go to plant a church was Southern California. And there are many reasons I could give you for that, but the number one on my list, because I had no direction from God at the time, was I can't afford to live there. And so I thought, God, where do you want me? And I remember getting so frustrated. How many of you remember playing that game when you were a kid where you'd take the globe and you'd spin it and you just kind of close your eyes and then put your finger on it? And I almost felt like I was getting to that point. There was a frustration that was building up in my heart. And I was thinking to myself, God, you're not telling me where you want me to go. I want to serve you. I want to be faithful to you. I don't want to be in Southern California. And so when I spin the globe, please let anywhere but there pop up. And I was just getting frustrated with it. And then I remembered, listen... I might not know where I'm supposed to go right now, but God knows where I'm supposed to go. And I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep searching, and I'm going to keep faithful in what I'm doing in my church now, and I'm going to trust by faith that God is going to show me where I'm to go plant a church. And, you know, I, I imagine there were moments in Abraham's life when he was called by God to go to a place he did not know of, that perhaps there was some frustration at times in his heart. 
And I think in all of our minds, we build constructs about places. Mine was Southern California. I won't go there because I can't afford to live there. And how many of you have heard certain things about certain cities that right now, though you know God is calling you to go somewhere, you're saying, I'm not going to go there because I know something about that place. I know something about Los Angeles. I know it's expensive. I know there can be difficult areas. I know there can be hard-heartedness. I know there can be challenges. And so you think, that's not for me. But as we look at these characters from Scripture in Hebrews chapter number 11, and we look at their narratives, we see they have a foundation from faith, and it comes from this one thing, hearing from God. The Bible tells us this. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Now, I want to encourage you about this. I continued to pray, and I continued to search, but I'll tell you what helped me the most was when I would sit in preaching and pay attention to what God was telling me from his word. I remember coming out to leadership conferences. I remember sitting in our auditorium and hearing my father preach at the church I was an assistant pastor at. And I remember as I was praying and I was searching for God to work on my heart, I remember God speaking to me through his word. And there was never a time he said, go to Camarillo, California. But God constantly challenged me and said, why won't you look at a place you said you won't look at when I can do all things anywhere? And how many of you believe that in God's word, if there's anything that's declared, it's that God can do all things anywhere? So I remember hearing from God's word and I remember God's word working on my heart. Listen, Young person, if God is calling you to do something for him and you might be frustrated and confused about the where and you might be building constructs in your own mind about where you won't go and what you will do and what looks like success to you and what looks like it might be a place of failure to you, can I tell you that anywhere that you go obediently with God is going to be a place of victory because he's already given the victory. We see there's a foundation of faith that comes from hearing from God. All of these characters heard from God. Noah was warned. Abraham was called. Others were spoken to through the testimony of the people of Israel like Rahab. All of them heard from God. Keep listening to God. Don't listen to your own mind. Don't listen to your own heart. Don't listen to your own fears. Don't listen to the own constructs that you've developed in your own heart. Listen to the word of God. The second thing that was foundational concerning faith in all of these characters' lives was obeying God. Once they heard from God, they obeyed God. Once God got a hold of my heart and said, go to Southern California, and I began looking there and God was confirming that in my life, I realized I need to obey him despite what I know about the area. And can I tell you something just by way of testimony? I don't think I've ever missed a meal since we moved here. God has provided in miraculous ways for our needs. And can I tell you something? Wherever God highlights for you to plant a church or wherever God highlights for you on the globe to go and to be in the mission field, God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, Brother Harold and I had slightly different tactics in how we were going to build a church. He was obviously going to have 11 children. (laughs) I only have four. Okay. But, But what a great testimony that is of a family who is going to be obedient to God, even though there was probably some constructs he could build in his mind about why that wouldn't be possible. 
And God is not only building a fruitful work, but he's taking care of a family who he's called to do that. And God will take care of you too. We see there's a foundation of faith. Secondly, there's a fellowship of faith. I want to move through this rather quickly because I want to make sure that we're sensitive to time. But notice this, this fellowship of faith. Now, I've kind of skirted through some of these characters we're familiar with already in Hebrews chapter number 11. Now, we read this text starting in verse number 32. There's some names that are named, but there's a transition that takes place in verse number 35. Notice, let's highlight this by looking back at verse 32 again. Again, characters we're familiar with. We, we see Gideon, we see Barak, we see Samson, we see David, we see Samuel. These are people we're familiar with. We associate them, though they've had failures in their life, we associate them with victory. David and Goliath, Samuel the prophet. We understand there were moments in their life that we highlight as being victorious. And, and notice, it just is constant winning as we're looking at these verses. Verse number 33 who through faith subdued kingdoms. They wrought righteousness. Uh, they obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness they were made strong. They waxed valiant in fight. They turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life. It's like, win, 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 win. This is great stuff. Hey, this is all why we get excited about the ministry. Let's just be honest about it. How many of you are excited about ministry because you want to see God do something? You want to see God do something in your life? I mean, I didn't go, I didn't go to bed at night through the process of planting Horizon Baptist Church and dream about low Sundays. I, I didn't dream about, oh, you know, 12 families were sick this Sunday, three families left the church, and uh, five families are here counting mine. Those were the dreams I had. In fact, let me just tell you something. When we had our first service, before we did that, we had about 50,000 flyers go out into the community. We made about 20,000 phone calls into the community. We had a big follow-up process. I mean, we did a ton of work. And, and literally, I stood out of the doors on our first service expecting God to just pack the house. We were, we were renting a little school auditorium. And to confirm that, the janitor who opened up the school, literally, I'm not even joking about this, set up 750 chairs. We walked into that auditorium that morning. I looked around. There was this sea of white chairs in the auditorium. And not only that, the auditorium had a stage much like this. There was 750 chairs set up in the auditorium. There was probably 200 chairs set up in the choir loft. I'm like, not only are we going to have a big Sunday, we're going to have 200 in our choir first Sunday. <laughs> God's going to do a great work. I remember standing out there and a few cars pull into the driveway. We had 57 on our first Sunday. 27 of those were groups from West Coast Baptist College and a group from our church in Horizon or at Desert Gateway Baptist in, in Arizona. And I think we had somewhere around, I don't know, 20 from the community that came. And I'll tell you for a moment, I was, I was kind of discouraged. I was standing out in front and I waited. I waited until one minute before I had to say something, waiting out front, just thinking, okay, when's the bus dropping off all the people? I remember getting a little bit discouraged about that. But can I tell you what? We had 13 the next Sunday. We had 34 the next Sunday. The first Sunday we had a family join the church. Amen? 
I'll tell you about another man. We were knocking on his door during our Bible study time, ramping up for our first service. And I remember, I remember knocking on this man's door. His name was Paul Muse. Now, the unique thing about knocking on his door is I had partnered with a local newspaper to do a story on how to plant a church in an area, a new church in an area. The Ventura County Star sent a camera crew along with us as we were knocking doors in our neighborhood. And I remember coming up to Paul's house, and I ring his doorbell. There's a camera crew behind me. He opens up the door. He runs out with all this excitement on his face. I'm like, there's somebody excited. We're here. He thought he won the publisher's clearinghouse. He'd been sending in his mail. There's the camera crew there. I'm there to talk to him about coming to a Bible study. He runs out. He's excited. I say, hey, we're starting a new church. And he goes, oh. <laughs> he was at our very first Bible study. Two weeks later, we led him to the Lord. He was the first man we had baptized in our church. And so we think about winning. Hey, hey, there's these characters in this passage of Scripture. Man, they're doing all these amazing things. And we associate that with the victory that we're going to have. But notice the turn that it takes here in verse number 35. It says, and others were tortured. Do you hear the record skip a little bit here? Really? What are we talking about now? I mean, we were talking about Enoch, and we're talking about Noah, and we're talking about Moses, and we're talking about Abraham, and we're talking about, we're talking about David, and we're talking about victory. Now we're talking about torture? Where's this coming from? How does this line up with the construct that I have in my mind of what victory looks like? Notice with me, verse number 36, and others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. I'm going to tell you, not everything that you're going to do in what God calls you to do is going to look like victory. There are going to be times that your flesh is going to get disappointed about things. There are times that your flesh is going to get discouraged about things. But this is where real surrender comes in. I remember, and by no means am I comparing what I've been through to what is listed here in this passage of Scripture. Okay, I've not been through anything like this. But I remember when we were coming out to plant the church, we had everything packed up in our big truck. We came out ahead of that truck because we were working out a lease agreement on the first condo that we were going to live in when we moved to the new area. Now, it was a bad economy. I tried to sell my house. I thought for sure God was going to sell it. That was going to be one of the signs that he was with us on this journey to go ahead and plant this church. But it was right in 2008. It was right when the, the market tanked. We couldn't sell our house, so we left our house. We packed up everything in our truck. I didn't have a renter for the house. I didn't have a buyer for the house, but I sure had a house payment coming up. I remember showing up ahead of the moving truck to the condo unit that they said I was going to be able to lease for four months before our permanent place was going to be ready. I show up there, 
And all of a sudden they let me know we don't do anything for less than a year agreement. My moving truck is two hours away. We're ready to unload our stuff. In the meantime, we've got some little children. One has overloaded its diaper. The other one touched a fireplace and burnt her hand. So I've got all this chaos and screaming. My whole deal's falling apart on where I'm going to live. And I'm thinking to myself, God, is this really what you want us to do? I don't have anybody back from my house in Arizona. I've got nowhere to live here. I start grumbling and complaining. And my wife, the spiritual one, says, well, do you think we should pray? And I'll tell you, that'll make you feel that big real quick, right? <laughs> I said, okay, well, let's pray. I get done praying. Two minutes later, we get a call from our realtor who's been working with us on a permanent place. And she says, you'll never believe this, but there's a place that's opened up just now that I've learned about that is right across the street from your place is being prepared, and they're looking for a renter. Are you interested? I said, yeah. She said, okay, well, maybe in a couple weeks we can get you in there. I said, no, I need two hours. My moving truck is on the way. I've got nowhere to live. She says, well, that's impossible. They've got to do background checks. They've got to do all these types of things. We can't get you in there in any less than two weeks. I said, well, can you call them and just let them know our situation and see what happens? She calls me back about 30 seconds later and says, yes, the keys are under the mat. You can move in. No background check. They never saw us. Who does that? Nobody does that. In the process, the lady that was trying to help us with the condo at the condo place, her name was Verita. I give her a card. She's at our first Bible study. She gets saved. The man who she's living with gets saved. I get to marry them. They're some of the first members of our church. The realtor that helps us get into all of these different places, she is one of the first members of our church. She was already saved but looking for a good church. You know, none of that on the surface looked like victory, but there was victory just right around the corner. When victory doesn't look like victory, remember, first of all, the foundation of faith. Remember the fellowship of faith. You're, you're going to have moments that are highlighted, and you're going to have moments of suffering. But every one of these people mentioned in Hebrews chapter number 11 had moments that were highlights and moments of suffering. There's a fellowship there in faith. There are those that are tortured. There are those that turn to flight the armies of the aliens. There's both. There's a fellowship there. Lastly, just real quickly, we see the focus of faith. You know these verses in Hebrews chapter number 12. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, this is what I'm saying. Don't have your faith in a strategy. Have your faith in a person. Look to Jesus. If Jesus is calling you to go to L.A., he will sustain you in L.A. If Jesus is calling you to go all over the world in different places, he will sustain you where he calls you. Why? Because our faith isn't in a nation, and our faith isn't in a city, and our faith isn't in a strategy, and our faith isn't in a service format. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. He's the author and finisher of our faith. Now, think about this. You may be called to a difficult place. You may know it's a difficult place. But if you're called, go anyway. 
Well, I might ever get a big name. I might never ever speak in a conference. I might, nobody might ever know my name. I don't know the names of all the people that were tortured and scourged and lived a faithful life for God, but I know that God knows them. And, and think about this. God may take you to a place in the process of sowing, watering, and reaping where he gives the increase, where you are scratching off a place where someone else is going to come many years later because of your faithfulness. But God is the one who gives the increase. And that kind of speaks to our heart of surrender. Listen, if you only want to go to places that you formulated a construct in your mind and heart that work for you, then I believe your reward is going to be here on earth. But if you will surrender to God and you will trust him and you will say, God, regardless of what I know about a place, regardless of what I understand about a city, regardless of the construct I built in my mind or in my heart, I'm going to trust you by faith. I'm going to go by faith. I'm going to rely on you by faith. You will get a victory. You will get a victory. But how surrendered are we? What are you going to do in the face of victory that doesn't look like victory? Hey, I'd like for any of us in this room to see another brother Harold come to the saving knowledge of Christ. Maybe God can use you to do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're so thankful for your goodness and your grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to destroy some of the constructs we have in our heart that might be preventing us from truly surrendering and being obedient to you, and that we would be faithful. Lord, help us with this, we pray.